0: 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. I just launched my book, um, which is about Gen Z, right, on August 17th. It hit Amazon bestseller after four days in a couple of categories. So we've been super, super busy ever since, which is fantastic. And, you know, Gen Z is definitely something that has application anywhere in the world, right? I mean, most of the research of the book was based in the US, but it has, but we do work around the world on Gen Z. And, you know, I'm, I'm running projects for Gen Z in China and in India and, you know, around the world. It has application, I think, for anyone, anywhere. You know, it's Beautiful. just that we had to limit, we had to limit the research to some degree really happy to be here and be talking to you and i love that you have an international audience because i am a student of culture i have been my whole life and the two companies that i run in the book that i just published are really all around humanity right and the continuing evolution of our humanity and culture Um, And that affects all of us around the world. Right. And so my personal journey really is very my professional and my personal lives are very much fused, I would say, Mm -hmm. because I've always pursued as an entrepreneur things that are of great passion to me. And when I was really young, I'm actually from, I'm from the US and I'm from a town called Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the US. So it's not the global capital of the world. <laughs> okay. It's not super international. It's not super diverse. It's not any of those things. It's kind of like this cruel joke of nature that I was born there because I've always felt like I'm a global citizen. I've always been interested in culture. And from the time that I could read, I would uh, I would open up my parents' encyclopedias and I would read about the different countries and how people lived, right, and how they dressed and how they thought about things or National Geographic, same thing. So I've really always been a student of of culture. And I spent the first 10 years of my career in my 20s working for big international marketing and advertising companies and doing anthropological studies. For our big clients like Procter and Gamble and Kellogg's and McDonald's and all of these big companies, right? Helping them understand how people live, how people eat, how people dress, how they care for themselves, how they do their laundry, all of those kinds of things. Um, And then what I decided in my 30s was that I wanted to start my own cultural consultancy. So I was 31 years old. I was uh, was nineteen years ago, and I founded Global Mosaic, and it is a cultural consultancy. And sometimes people say, "Well, what's a cultural consultancy?" But here's the thing: when you're an entrepreneur, right, you get to decide what you want to do, and you get to decide what you want to call it. (laughs) So I decided I'd never heard of a cultural consultancy before, but that was my dream job, so I just created it. So. Global Mosaic is a cultural consultancy and have spent the last 19 years working with companies, sometimes really big companies, sometimes smaller startups, um, even countries, even presidential candidates in the US, help them understand cultural movements and trends, right? How is our culture continuing to evolve, right? How are we thinking about aging differently? How are we thinking about health and wellness differently? Um, And generations are a big part of this, right? So... How are boomers thinking about aging differently? How do millennials think about home or how do millennials think about work differently than older generations? And then about two years ago, we started doing a lot of work with Gen Z. And Gen Z is uh, born between 1997 and 2010, roughly. It's not a perfect science, but so they're roughly 10 to about 23, maybe just turning 24 years old. And I was absolutely in awe of this generation. Because there's kind of a misperception that they're just the younger millennials, but they're not. They've actually grown up very differently. They have very different um, worldview and very different ideas. And I was so in awe of them that I decided a year and a half ago to start a second company called Z Speak, which is all about Generation Z. I just decided they were going to be so impactful in the future of our world that I wanted to create an entire company that was just focused on understanding them, researching them, consulting, related to them. And as part of that, as I was doing research and I was reading everything that I could get my hands on on Gen Z, I realized, you know, there isn't really, there really, really, there isn't really much that's been written about them that's really meaningful, that goes really, really deep. We tend to hear about. And I don't know what it's like in Croatia or in Europe, but I would say in the U.S., the media has mostly focused on Gen Z just being, you know, teenagers staring at their phones all the time. Or we have exactly. something called, you know, cancel culture. They're always trying to cancel everybody or trying to tear everything down. They're they're angry that we've ruined the environment. They're angry about this or that. Um, but what do they really want? And so. I discovered at the time there wasn't really a deep story that was being told about them. And there wasn't really a book or really anything that really deeply explained who they are and why they are who they are. And so I decided I think we need to write that book. So so a year and a half ago, we started doing our own independent research amongst thousands of Zs and compiled all this information interviewed thousands of Zs and wrote a book that launched uh, August 17th of this year called Generation We, The Power and Promise of Gen Z. And we hit Amazon bestseller in multiple categories after just four days. So I think it was a story that a lot of people were ready for and wanted to hear and wanted to understand. I don't know where, where you are in Croatia or in Europe, do you feel like Generation Z has a very large presence yet?
1: Well- You
0: hear about it, them, it, are they in the news, are you-
1: Virtually speaking, yes. I mean, on the internet, I, I'm completely sure they are present on uh, various ways, but uh, otherwise, not so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say, for example, here here in the US, three years ago, no one really heard about Gen Z. Right. Mm-hmm. No one really knew much about them. They were just kids. Right. And then in 2018, three years ago, we had a really significant gun shooting at a high school in Florida, Parkland, Florida, uh-huh. you may, which you may have heard about. And so those kids, Emma Gonzalez and a number of other teenagers, these high schoolers, stood up and held a huge press conference and said, we call BS on this. We call BS on your thoughts and prayers. We call BS on your inability to regulate gun violence in our country and keep us kids safe. We're gonna take over. <laughs> you haven't you haven't fixed this, right? We are raising our voices and we're organizing. And a month later, they organized something called March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. with over a million youth participating. And then they, con- they continued to build on that and students around the U.S. started marching out of school as part of March for Our Lives, right, to protest our country's inability to create safe spaces for them to learn. And then within a couple of months there in Europe, Greta, our friend Greta Thunberg, right, she started protesting in front of parliament and created these climate strikes, which then young teenagers all over the world started to replicate, right? And that was within a year. We had youth of the world uh, organizing the climate strike, right? Which, which, In which over 4 million people around the world participated in. And that was organized by youth. That was organized by these teenagers. And so people really started to stand up and say, wow, who are these kids? We have not seen youth organizing like this. Since maybe the 60s, the civil rights movement, there were a lot of you know social movements in the 60s. But even then in the States, for example, the largest protest in the U.S. during the Vietnam years was only maybe about half a million people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And here, these are organizing millions of people around the globe. And then, as you probably are aware of, last summer, over the last year, we've had all these Black Lives Um, matter movements, right? In which seventy-seven percent of our youth of our Z's have participated in, and they're leading much of that work. So, on the ground here in the U.S., it seems like three years ago we didn't even know who these kids were, and now you can't open up the news on any given day without someone in this Gen Z um, cohort that is taking a really large stance on something, even thinking about the Biden Biden's at Biden's inauguration this past January. I don't know mm-hmm. if you watched that, but the there young was poet. a twen- 24-year-old yes. Amanda Gorman. The young poet, yes. Who stole the show at that inauguration? Mm-hmm. I would say it was her, right? It was the 24-year-old who stood up in her words and her honesty. And that is what is amazing about Gen Z, is they're actually, despite their youth, they're so savvy, and I'm happy to talk about the reasons why, but they are so savvy. Um, they're so aware they have they have really fresh ideas on what we need to do to move forward as a society. And they really are not afraid to use their voices. They've been on digital, you know they've been, they've been on social media their whole lives. They're very comfortable using their voices yes. and putting putting their opinions out there in a way that we never were at that age at 16. I didn't do that. I didn't stand up and you know, even in a room full of adults.
1: Except standing up and strike, when you say work, working, what, what do you mean? When I was 16, I was the youngest author of IT uh, broadcast uh, in Croatian local radio station. So I was not uh, just standing Amazing. up and strike, I was working. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us, uh, uh, or most of us, were working when we were young. And especially in the States, you have that kind of culture you will start with selling lemonade or whatever, you know, you will help your parents. So um, from that point of view, as I'm not very familiar with that generation, is that uh, only uh, what is not good that I'm, uh, and what I'm standing up for or against, or is there anything that they actually do?
0: Absolutely. It's a great question. No. And that is one of the misperceptions around Z's too, that I wanted, to really make that point in the book and all the work that we're doing in the interviews that we're doing is that they are in fact, not just angry kids, right? Because I think, I think that that is something that older generations often look at youth and say, oh, they're rejecting everything that existed before them. They wanna tear it all down, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they're not just angry. They're actually really, really solutions oriented. And I think an example of that is is in the sphere of climate. So for example, in the US, the three largest climate organizations in the US are all youth-created and youth-led. There are three of them. There's one called Sunrise. There's one called Fridays for Future, which is actually inspired by by Greta's work. And there's one called Zero Hour. All of those have been started by 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, three largest climate organizations in our country, and they don't just strike, they have very specific demands. They are very educated and they have very specific demands about what they are seeking to change. They have very specific demands in terms of what are required in terms of our emissions, for example, and keeping us below 1.5 C, right? Versus pre-industrial levels. They have very specific ideas on what we have to do to get there. And even actually that climate strike that happened in 2019 with the 4 million people around the world, that was very intentionally organized three days before the UN climate summit, the COP, right? Very intentionally to state and make certain demands of what they expected the international organizations and international delegates to agree upon during that UN summit and actually to go further The Paris Accords were actually signed six years ago, right? And then annually, every year, there's this UN Climate Summit, which is called the COP. Last year in the year 2020, that was meant to be the five-year mark after the Paris Accords were signed. It was a really important COP because in that particular meeting, they were going to up their admissions commitments. All these countries are going to up their admissions commitments. What happened because of COVID is the adults of the world decided to postpone the COP, postpone this critical meeting, right, to improve their uh, their emissions commitments, and postpone it for an entire year. This, when huge swaths of our population are burning, are on fire. We're in the sixth hottest year on record, right, in terms of climate. So do you know what the youth of the world did? They organized what they called the mock cop last year. So when the adults said, oh, it's 2020, we're in the middle of COVID, we're going to postpone the cop for an entire year. Instead of having it virtually, they could have had it virtually, the kids of the world said, we're going to hold a mock cop. And they actually replicated it. They did a full two-week international climate summit. The youngest delegates were 11. I think the oldest were in their mid-20s. They had delegates representing 300 countries. They overrepresented the Southern Hemisphere because they know that the Southern Hemisphere is disproportionately affected by climate. And they spent two weeks coming up with their demands for the adults of the world. And they put those forward at the end of that two-week summit and said, adults, when you show up for your real COP one year from now, here's what we expect you to do.
1: Accept demands, are they ready to communicate with other generations?
0: Very much so. And that is what they're trying to do. And vice versa, of
1: course. You it's,
0: it's a great question. It's the older generations tend to say, Hey, you'll just, you are just kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, I think that the, the, you know, the biggest, biggest criticism of Gen Z, and this is, you know, this is, again, this is, this is not unique. I think that generally we older generations tend to trivialize youth, right? We tend to say, what can a 16 year old know about climate, right? Or what can uh, a 16 or a 17 or 18 year old know about the complicated dynamics of our politics, um, or about the complicated dynamics of gun regulation or whatever it is, but what's actually really unique to this generation is that and first of all they're the largest generation on the planet now, so they make up about 27% of the global population so so that's huge they're just a lot of them. But even given their size what is making them so powerful is the way that they use social media right so obviously we did not grow up on social media. But even millennials, who I think, you know, oftentimes we think of the millennial generation who are now between the ages of like 24, 25, and about 40 years old, we think about them as being online so much. We think about them as the Instagram generation, et cetera. But actually, the median millennial was 19 years old when the iPhone came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they didn't they didn't grow up on these smartphones. Mm-hmm. They were, the median age of a millennial was 22 when Instagram came out. Mm-hmm. So even though they're the Instagram generation, they really weren't online and on social media in a meaningful way until they were in their 20s in many cases, right? Whereas these guys, Generation Z, they've had, as you probably know, they've had phones and devices and iPads and things in their hands since they were in kindergarten or first grade or sometimes even younger, right? But using it meaningfully since the elementary years. And what that means is that they've been communicating with each other, with each other all over the world. From the time that they've been very young, so even though they might not have a lot of years of living, they actually have had access to so many ways of living and so much reality, right? Another thing is we, like, we just celebrated and didn't celebrate. We just marked 9-11 here in the U.S., right? Super significant day just took place four days ago. And when millennials, millennials were in elementary school, maybe teenagers when 9-11 happened, uh-huh. but they didn't have devices. So they didn't see it happen live. And then their parents or their school, their teachers, administrators had the opportunity to kind of decide how they wanted to tell these kids about what had happened with, 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 with the World Trade Center, right? Uh-huh. Wanted to, you know how they wanted to share that, how they wanted to interpret that for them, right? So, I mean, millennials were, they didn't really see what was happening in the world on a daily basis, but Generation Z from the time they've been very young, they see everything happen live. They see every, you know, they see, they see the Afghani people hanging from the planes as they're taking off. They see that happening live, right? They see the climate disasters happening all over the world and the human suffering they see the mass shootings happening live and unfolding you know they see George Floyd being hold, held down by the police officer they see that happening on their phones and so it's good and bad for sure i mean it means that they don't have an innocent childhood like kids used to have in the past they are they have a front row seat pretty much 24/7 to everything that is real and raw And beautiful, but also hard and ugly in our world. Right. But what it means is that they're actually super aware and super savvy from a young age. And so they really do have much more of an understanding of what's happening in our world and opinions about it at a younger age than we can even imagine because we didn't have that.
1: their perception is influencing their experience inner experience and the experience of the context they are immersed into actually the whole world as we are living in the age of internet for at least 20 years now right what's the process vice versa so how the experience is influencing on their perception on a positive way negative way What's the what's the overall uh, perception? Is it a positive one or a negative one?
0: Yeah, well, I will I will say this is building on the conversation we we're just having. Having twenty four seven access to everything that's happening in the world is overwhelming, right? It's overwhelming for us as adults. I mean, we just can't even take it all in. Now that we operate as a global community, you could say, right? And our news includes all of the trauma, all of the things happening anywhere in the world. It's just, it's so much to take in every day. So, but that said, one of the things that is extraordinary to me about Gen Z is that they maintain an optimistic attitude. So they also feel overwhelmed by all the news that they're taking in, but they also believe that we can make changes Uh and that positive change is possible. And that's one of the reasons that I so enjoy representing them and elevating their voices and elevating their ideas, because it really is about ideas. I mean, they really do have fresh thinking on a lot of these things. And, and one of the things that they see and one of the ways in which they're, they're, I think that they're really different and they see things very clearly is that, you know, we're, we're, we're coming from, they see us as all being very disconnected and they mm-hmm. see us as being unnecessarily disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so the way that they view things is that it's been very much a society based on the individual for a long time that our world has been very much based on the individual right,
1: especially in the States,
0: especially in the States, States because Europe is an
1: old, old continent, they are more uh, into tribes. For example, absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, and it is. And your approach to capitalism, your approach to the economy is more cooperative, right? It's more, it has more social structures in place than ours does, for example. And you are from right? marketing.
1: So we are talking about micro differentiation, et cetera. Yeah. So again, absolutely. individual, 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 yeah.
0: hmm And so, and so what, what's actually so interesting is that because these Zs around the world have been able to connect with each other from a young age, they are able to connect on a level of shared humanity that really goes beyond nationality, skin color, gender identity, in a way that when we all grew up, we were more limited to our individual, you know, we were more limited to who was our in our immediate geographical sphere, right? I mean, who did you interact with when you were growing up, right? It was your parents, your family, your classmates, your neighbors, it was the people within that geographical sphere. And one of the things that's super interesting is that around the world, TikTok is the number one app for Gen Z. And what happens on TikTok is it's very different than other social media platforms like Facebook or like Instagram, where you go on and you tend to see the people that you friended or the people that you follow, and maybe some sponsored content, right? But the algorithm on TikTok is very different in that when you open it up, you land on something called your For You page, and it will have the stories and the short videos from your friends and the people that you follow, but it will also have on any given day, the short stories and videos of people from anywhere in the world that are basically being crowdsourced, right? That are receiving the most likes and becoming viral. And so no matter where you are in the world, right? If you're a a Gen Z and you're growing up in Croatia, you open up TikTok in the morning and you see a video of what's happening in Afghanistan, right? Or you see maybe a black youth in Chicago, say, talking about their encounter with the police, or you see a young teenager in Hong Kong that's participating in, uh, that is you know, protesting for, for democracy, right? And so what they find is that I may be 17 and I may live in Croatia, I may be 17 and live in Chicago, or I might be 17 and live in Hong Kong, but via an app like TikTok, we're sharing our stories all the time and we're sharing really authentic stories. And opposed to older generations who tend to kind of put their best face forward, you know, it's especially on Instagram, right, which has been highly criticized. It's always like, it's always kind of patinaed and perfect. And, you know, you're wearing makeup or maybe there's a filter and the backdrop looks great and whatever else, right? You put your best foot forward in Instagram. Zs are living in this world that they know that things are so far from perfect, and they don't really have the time or the, or the patience for airbrush superficiality. They really gravitate toward what's real and what's raw and real and raw stories. So they're not putting makeup on and they're not worrying about the backdrop. They're just telling the story about what's happening to them. It might be how isolated they feel and how much they're struggling with depression during COVID isolation. It might be, you know, it, it, it's, it's things that they're, they can all relate to. Um, it might be someone who is, it might be, you know, a 16 or 18 year old who's struggling with their gender identity, who thinks that they might be trans, right? Or whatever it might be. And even if you identify as straight, you're the same age as this person who's halfway across the world, who is just talking very honestly about their struggle to, um, to figure out who they are, who they are as a 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old. You can relate to that, right? We were all looking to connect with other people who were going through a similar struggle to identify who we were at that age. But now instead of happening within just your city or your town, or your neighborhood, it's happening on this global basis, it's just absolutely incredible. And so I think that's what makes them so optimistic is because unlike older generations, I think Zs from a very young age, they really get how we're similar. Right. They don't really see how our nationality or how the color of our skin or our gender identity or any of these things really need to be a limiting factor because they're really connecting on this level of like shared humanity in a way that the rest of us never were able to do. I mean, I love to kind of give this this kind of analogy, like imagine, Martin, when you were growing up, if every day you came down to breakfast and there were 10 strangers, say you were 17 years old, you came down to breakfast and there were 10 17 year olds from all over the world who were at your breakfast table ready to tell you the story of their life. And then the next day you came down to breakfast and there were 10 more people that were there to tell you the story of their life. So imagine growing up like that, which is essentially what Zs around the world are doing. So it's creating this really collective generation. So it's Mm. not just the fact that they're the largest generation on the planet right now. It's that they really are connected, not just digitally, functionally, but even in terms of this kind of shared empathy. That they are creating, and that's why they're able to organize a climate strike of four million people in the span of a month, because that's the kind of connectivity that they have, and that's the kind of shared passion and shared understanding that they have. Again, we know that Z's are spending so much more time, of so much more of their time digitally, right, in their in their short lifetimes than, than any other than any other generation has and and we don't know what the long-term impacts of all this are going to be, right? Um, we We do know that it is making them the most connected generation, as I was just saying and it's allowing them to really develop shared empathy and shared perspective in a way that's really unprecedented at a young age and allowing them to really share ideas and build ideas and mobilize and have a strong voice in the world. But at the same time, they do have um, the highest levels of kind of mental health issues, anxiety, stress that we've seen um, in the most recent generations. And the American Psychological Association, for example, has had to create new terms just to explain the level of chronic stress that exists, right? From having access to all of this 24 seven, Um, the APA, the American, um, uh, psychiatric association has, yes. yes, has even, has even created new terms to address the specific stress that Zs feel around our climate trajectory, right? Because for those of us who are older, we recognize that the climate is in a state of decline. Right. And it and it I mean, I think most of us at this point can't argue that global warming isn't real. Right. Especially when we see the level of national natural disasters that we have the last the last several years. But for for Z's, it's so real because when we talk about hitting, for example, one point five C above pre-industrial levels, which is considered this marker for even greater. human suffering and natural disasters and parts of our planet becoming almost uninhabitable. You know, 2030, or we talk about 2050 on on a uh, climate model, those seem far away from us. But to uh-huh. a Z, they, they hear 2030 and they and they think, well, that's my graduation year. You know, that's the year I meant to graduate from college, for example, right? Or 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 2050, I mean, I hope to have a family then. So so they actually have the lowest incidence. Um, They have the lowest dated incidence for having children. Over 50% of Zs around the world say that where they live, they feel has already been impacted by climate change. And so there are actual terms that the AP has come up with, like um, eco-anxiety, eco-PTSD, you know, various things like that. So, 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 yeah, being connected all the time and being aware of everything going on in the world absolutely has its dark side. For sure. And then you also, you know, kind of asked, well, what about in real life, right? IRL, in real life, how does that fit in? You know, do they really just want to be staring at their screens all the time? And I think that that is the characterization of Gen Z is that they would just prefer to be on their screens all the time, right? In fact, if you do a Google image search for Gen Z, it's actually kind of fun to do this. Type into the search bar, Google image search bar, Gen Z, and you'll get pages and pages and pages of teenagers literally just staring at their phones, right? <laughs> and we often see, we've all seen it, it's real. We've all seen Zs together in real life in the same physical space, but yet they're all looking at their phones. And we think they can't even communicate with each other. They're not even having a conversation with each other. Um, but actually what's been really interesting to the research that we've been doing is especially exacerbated by COVID right? And this forced isolation and not being able to go to school and having to do remote learning and not being able to go into an you know office or go to your internship. that The Z's that we've talked to and we've interviewed, again, thousands of Z's about coming out of COVID and what they've learned and how that's impacted them. And it's how it's made them, what, what they've learned, right? Um, many of them talk about how it's really made them realize that there is not a substitute for being with other humans in real life. There is not a substitute for being in a classroom with a real teacher. There isn't a substitute to being at a workplace with that kind of shared energy, right, and interaction that you get when you're with your coworkers working on something via on Zoom all the time. And so that's one of the number one things that Zs have told us. And they've also said that it's really made them realize that when they're able now increasingly to be with their friends in real life, that that's something they can't replicate online, right? And so it's really interesting. Here's this generation that's had devices in their hands from a really young age. And one of the, I guess you could say positives of COVID is that that forced isolation has really helped this kind of these digital natives understand and appreciate and have renewed appreciation for in real life interactions. And, Amazing. you know, I, yeah, I think what'll be interesting is actually the generation that comes after Gen Z they've already named them the alpha generation. And those are basically the kids that are 10 and younger. And obviously they're so young, we don't know much about them yet, but, but the alpha generation, this younger generation will be the ones that are really always going to be colored. They're probably educational work experience is always going to be colored by by COVID, right? Because education is probably never going to be quite the same. We'll, pr- we'll probably always have a much higher uh, higher presence of, uh, of remote learning. We'll always probably have a much higher presence of of remote working. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what this means actually for the generation that comes after disease, the, the alphas. It's much too early to call that yet, but um you know these these young kids, 10 and younger, are really growing up on devices all the time with the most limited in real life, human interaction that any generation has ever had. So what does that mean? We don't know yet. And we don't know how the COVID trajectory is gonna play out how much longer that will last for them either. So what I would say is when I envisioned the book, Generation We, and I was talking to publishers initially because I have a history as a successful business person Most publishers expected that this was going to be a business book, and I had conceived it very intentionally and said to all the publishers that I was talking to this is not, this is not a business book, it has business application 100% but it's much, much broader than that, because generation Z is so powerful they, as I said, are so united right they have such unified ideas and they're just getting started the median age of a gen z is 17 years old and think about the impact they're having already right they most of them aren't even earning their own money yet most of them aren't even in college yet most of them aren't in the workforce yet so imagine most of them aren't able to vote yet So imagine what that coming impact is going to be. And so the book is actually divided into two parts. And the first part is called The Roots of Their Power. And it really talks about these things. It talks about how they're so connected. It talks about the impact of all of that. It goes into a lot more specifics and details and examples. The second part of the book is called The Coming Transformation. And it really talks about the impact that Zs are going to have and how we think about gender and how we think about diversity. And how we think about the environment and how we think about capitalism right and how we think about politics and etc, and each chapter is broken down that way and presents ideas that come from these themselves on what they see and hope to impact in our shared future globally, and so. The feedback that we've received, and this is thrilling to me, is that a lot of the people who read this book, who have read this book since we've published on August 17th, are parents who know that their kids view the world differently than they do, and they want to understand more about their worldview and why they think the way that they do, and they want to be able to engage them. We certainly are doing a lot of work with companies who want to understand them. But for example, a couple of days ago, we had one of the largest universities in the U.S. asked us to come deliver a keynote to help them understand how to best prepare a higher education system that really acknowledges this generation and how different they are and what their unique wants and needs are. We have governments and we have mayors that are coming to us and saying, we need to understand this future constituency and we need to understand what they really want and how to serve them. So that's the biggest thrill to me is that as intended, it's not a business book, but it's more a book about this larger societal transformation that this huge, huge United Generation is going to be driving. And anyone who wants to have some insight into what's coming and what you're going to continue to see more and more of in the coming years, and that will impact all of us, will find this book to be insightful. And if you'd like to check it out, you can certainly check it out on Amazon.com, Generation Weed, the, The Power and Promise of Gen Z. You can read more about the book and some of the background at my website, Anne Marie Hayek dot com a-n-n-e-m-a-r-i-e-h-a-y-e-k dot com and it's just been a thrill to talk to you about it I'm so excited to be sharing this message with your global audience so thank you so much for letting me talk about this
1: thank you Anne-Marie as well for letting me know to immerse a little bit more into generation z mindset
0: (laughs) thank you appreciate it 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. Thank you for listening.
1: If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating and leave a review.